0: I'm Franz. I'm AJ. And this is In the Weeds, a podcast about the food and beverage
1: industry, past, present, and future. Our goal is to legitimize food and beverage by sharing stories of people we meet, learning new things, and having some laughs along the way. Be sure to check us out on Instagram and intheweedspodcast.com. This week on In the Weeds, Franz and AJ speak to Robert Belchin, founder and chef of such well-known Vancouver restaurants as Campagnolo, Campagnolo Roma, Fuel, Fat Dragon, Popina, and the new Popina Cantina. Chef Robert talks about the Chef's Table Society, Cook's Camp 2021, what it's like being in Vancouver during G-Panda, and how we hope to dig ourselves out of this massive hole that the restaurant industry has found itself in. Ending on an uplifting note, of course, including highlights of his time working at the French Laundry. Enjoy the show, everybody. Um,
0: chef, let me just start off by saying I am so grateful and thankful for your time. I don't want to do too much uh, flattery, but you uh, are a, a big deal for a lot of us, so it's, uh, it's lovely that you were able to make some time to chat with a
2: couple of uh, newbies to the uh, podcasting world. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, I'm a big deal to myself as well, so I'm happy to be
0: here. <laughs> awesome! I've been listening to your podcast, and uh, it's uh, it's lovely. I've I think I'm five episodes in, and it's oh, been uh, it's been a source of a lot of uh, of thoughtful
2: inspiration during all of this. I appreciate that. Thank you. I mean, it's a kind of a, something I wanted to do for a long time, and and to be able to actually do it and make it sound. I'm very lucky in that I have uh my partner in crime, Andre La Riviere. He used to work for the CBC as a producer. Right. So he makes me look, or sorry, he makes me sound very good, much better oh, yeah. than I actually am, So I'm very lucky.
0: It's um, very, it's very lovely and polished. I noticed it right away. I was like, "There's, there's some good production behind this, and, and it's yeah.
2: lovely. Yeah, it's really good." He cuts, he cuts, and he does. He, he can make me pretty much fucking say anything he wanted to. Really, <laughs> at the end of the day,
0: nice. <laughs> Oh, I like it. Yeah. We need somebody like
1: that in our corner. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I was thinking a house DJ would probably be the oh, first perfect, step. But like yeah,
0: on a on a pedestal yeah. behind us. That and would be perfect. And, 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 you know, and, and an editor Barbie might be better. And stuff,
2: the lights and the-
0: oh yeah. Yeah. Whole new <laughs> level. Like um that. if you could, um, for uh those of our listeners who have not had the pleasure of following you uh and your your impact on the Vancouver food and beverage scene, uh can you give us a little backstory about yourself? <laughs> <laughs>
2: A Cole's notes, A Cole's notes of sort of what's been going on for the last twenty five years. Is that what you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah? Well, I'm just a, the
1: you know just the important things. You don't need to share yeah. everything. Just the, just wanna, the stuff that stands out to you.
2: I don't want to. I don't want to recite my resume. That's boring as fuck. No. But, no, um, yeah, I've been <laughs> a cook for twenty five years. I've been a chef here in Vancouver uh, since two thousand and two. Same year my son was born. My son is turning eighteen in October. Whoa! That's like, a trip. Like, yeah, it's a fucking trip. Bro. <laughs> uh, I worked at C Restaurant with Rob Clark, and Rob Clark is truly a, a mentor of mine. He taught me how to be a chef. He's an amazing guy. Um, then I opened my first restaurant, in two thousand six, uh, Fuel, and then Campagnolo, two thousand eight, Roma, two thousand eleven. Then the economic downturn, uh, we've changed fuel to refuel in 2009. Uh, then what did we do after that? Uh, Fat Dragon for a very short time in 2011 for a year. And then, you know, uh, Campagnolo upstairs, um, Monarch Burger, Popina. And then last two weeks ago, Popina Cantina. And I closed Campagnolo for good last week as well. Because I think that's that's the coolest note since quickly as yeah. possible. oh, no, uh, absolutely.
1: That, that's a lot of activity. Yeah, and it's uh, a lot
2: of stuff. It's a lot of restaurants. A yeah. kind of uh, in and out. A lot of cooking, a lot of food, a lot of everything. Um, so some of the stuff I'm pretty proud of too is like being part of the Chef's Table Society. I've been the president now for a couple of years. I shouldn't really be the president. Scott Yeager was the president before me and I, he always wanted me to be the president. And I said you know, you're like a delicate scalpel who can make people do things really easily. And I'm like a ball-peen fucking hammer who just sort of, you know, yells at people and makes people feel uncomfortable. Um, and put, there's, room
1: for, there's room for both. Yeah, there's room for both. There's time and a place for both. Yeah.
2: Guess, yeah. In true. fact, they work better together. I'd say. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish Scott would come back and be president again. I'll tell you that yeah uh it's been a it's been a you know as for everybody i love what you how do you say it the pen the pen the go panda, you g, g, panda. g panda yeah i love that. That's <laughs> well, a great name
0: we got so fucking fed up for the first few episodes of constantly referring to like the state that we're in or like the, the all these ominous like different ways of saying it and then we're like there's got to be a, a yeah. better way of approaching this yeah <laughs>
1: I it needed it, a rebrand. I it needed a rebrand. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly.
2: you had your team work on it. You had a marketing, marketing people. Yeah, in. yeah. Yeah. Had- yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. $7,000 later. Yeah. We got G Panda. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> yeah. Perfect.
2: Perfect. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. So it's been a crazy, as you guys know, I've been actually listening to your podcast too. Ever since you asked me to be part of it, I've been listening to your podcast. It's, been, oh, it's thank great. Thank you. Um,
0: I've been enjoying doing it so much. Like, it's it's just such a different realm for us, right? So, Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's it's like the first time in years when you're not, for me, holding a knife or commanding a team where I'm looking at audio equipment being like, how, what, like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly. it's been fun.
2: Yeah, it's a lot of yeah. fun. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's fun uh, being part of something that's a, that's different and positive and not having to worry about whether or not you're going to have customers in the back <laughs> room you know? <laughs>
1: totally no yeah. <laughs> hey so when um, at which point in your, in your career did you decide that you wanted to kind of make the move from restaurateur chef to kind of community leader or you know whatever you want to call that of, of taking over and, and, and working with the, the chef's table society and when, when, did that, when did that change happen or has it always been there
2: I, it's a good question. I think it's always sort of been there when I, I was asked to be on the chef's table in 2009. Um, it was right after, uh, my first restaurant fuel had like won a bunch of awards and stuff. And, and
1: it looked super cool.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it was, uh, it was a great. Re- it was a great place, but it, you know, I was, I'll never forget it. Cause Pino called me up, Pino Pasterero from Chipinos, And he's like, you should be on the chef's table. And I was like, "Well, what am I, I going to do?" As sort of, as, as besides, like, just agree with a bunch of chefs on, on the board, and they're like, oh, "You can do sort of whatever you want." So I decided to join, and but I said I wasn't going to do it unless I, unless there was sort of like a, a bigger a bigger project or something that was beyond just the chefs who were on the board. And that's when we came came up with the idea of doing the the chefs table culinary library and reference center. So it's been in the works for a long fucking time. And it was always the idea was to build, to have the Chef's Table Society raise money to build a, an actual library. And, you know, the one thing that we all, all cooks have in common is cookbooks because we all collect them. <laughs> we've all referenced them. We all read them ad nauseum for our entire careers. And it's always, you know, cookbooks are fucking expensive. And to have a place where all cooks could go, no matter where they were in their career, to be able to, you know, reference a book that may be kind of obscure or too expensive for them to afford that was the idea and the dream and to have it as a place where all cooks could sort of congregate. And, you know, every cook in the world is invited to come and, and hang out and it's free to everybody. And, um, it'd be sort of like a cook's hangout or a hospitality sort of hangout place. Yeah. And that's still the dream. And so that's, that, that dream started in 2009. So it was like 11 years ago and we're closer now with the chef's table than ever to be able to make it happen. Actually this year, with cook's camp. It was the reason why there was uh, lots of reasons to have cook's camp, but one of them was to raise $150,000 in seed money to get the, the, get the ball really rolling for uh, the culinary library. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The chef's table. Um, it took a long time to get it because it was run by a bunch of chefs, right? So we're all the most unorganized motherfuckers in the world. Well,
0: I'm busy as (laughs) (laughs) as
2: fuck. Absolutely. (laughs) And there's always so much going on. So, no one was really accountable for what was actually going on in the CTS. Everybody had great ideas, but it was very hard to get follow through because, you know, the fucking sous chef, you know, killed his girlfriend or fucking whatever, you know. <laughs> whatever. It, Again?
0: Always- yeah. but, oh, but, Rocky.
2: I think you guys, who was it? I can't remember who I guess said, like, my dishwasher called in sad. I think you're one of yes, yes, the yes, best yeah, fucking yeah. line totally. I've ever heard in my life. It's so true. <laughs> anyway, so that's sort of what happens. Um, uh, in this business you know and so it took a long time for us to get an executive director who was actually paid and that's happened and uh we've had this is we're on our second director now and and shauna she's unbelievable she's really good and um before that we had a really great one and Celine as well is like herding the cats kind of thing and then finally in january 2019 yeah january 2019 we made it the the mission for the cts that was the main goal going forward was to get the culinary library built and we were and that's why we started Cook's camp, and then G panda happened <laughs> so. <laughs> put a fucking uh, break on it so like i was so
0: i think i told you this i i kind of gushed in an email to you about like how disappointing it was for even so many people i knew like i mentioned um one of our previous uh guests dan bain uh he he bought tickets and like we were we were had it ready to go and like we were uh we were all planning uh our mutual acquaintance who kind of connected us um yeah. dan as well uh he he was all into it like it just was like it was crushing it sounded like one of the, the the best possible ideas to bring industry folk together ever. I, I I loved it and I can't wait for it to happen again,
2: but I, I mean, I can't wait to ha- for it to happen. I really hope we're allowed to make it happen next year. Like we're coming up, it's supposed to be September 15th, sorry, 16th and 17th, which is coming up in two weeks. Right. Yeah. Um, and so we're going to, we're going to, ha- I'm going to have a glass of wine and talk about it to myself and, and go, <laughs> how can we make this thing happen in, in, in 2021? It's really about whether or not we can have large gatherings or not. That's really what the, and who the fuck knows where that is. Yeah, it's going to happen yeah. next summer. So, I really want it to happen. It, the, the The idea of Cook's Camp is something that's severely needed. It was needed a year ago, and it's needed tenfold more times now. Uh, yeah. How fucked up the the industry is. Um, and you asked earlier, why like, why I became this this advocate for for the industry, and it's really because. I was tired of cooks and chefs sitting around talking about, talking about it and not fucking doing anything about it. I was very lucky enough in the position that I'm in as a restaurant tour and chef, and I'm not on the stoves anymore. And I haven't been for quite a while that it gives me the free time to be able to, um, to organize something like cook's camp and to, and to push forward on, on agendas. And, and, and funnily enough, people, Sort of think that I'm, I'm some sort of expert on the industry for some reason. <laughs> I don't quite know why, really. But they so they give me a they give me a, a platform to speak, such as the podcast or being with the BCRFA, talking about you know how to come up with guidelines for COVID and and things like that, and being on the CTS and stuff like that. So yeah, it's it's mainly just because I'm a ball peen hammer, and I just if people will listen, I'm going to you know rattle on
0: well and there's there's an there's an honesty obviously that comes with you and and the fact that you do whether you're modest or not you do know the industry w- very well and uh, obviously you know a lot of the most influential people within your community and your industry and uh i mean like you said if if it's just a matter of people sitting around having beers and talking or having to actually get the shit done they uh yeah they they need somebody you know like maybe it is that hammer but maybe it's also just all of your your knowledge and your people and that that Corraling or
1: herding of cats. Restaurant yeah. folks are good at uh, sitting around drinking and talking shit. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. yeah. It's, uh, you were mentioning you were just talking a minute ago, and it, and it occurred to me that you know half the time working in a restaurant, you're you, the the passion and the fuel that you get for what you're doing is just the job in itself, and it's like you're you're crazy about it because the whole environment is crazy. And now that half of us aren't working in the industry, it's like this. Sp- Silent vacuum. Everybody's so like, funny. "Oh my god, what am I?" <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm yeah. nothing without my crazy restaurant stories, or my burns, or my crazy long shifts, or my you know seventy thousand dollars tax free as a server. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh. Uh, <laughs> oh. But
2: you know, it's like without
1: that, without the craziness, it's it's such an it's such an identity.
2: That it, yeah, it's. I'd imagine Man. there's a lot
1: of lost souls out there.
2: Well, there definitely is. And they, you know, if it's, it's, I can't remember who it was, Tony Minicello, I think, from from Northwest Culinary Academy. He always said if, if, if they make cooks like run the government or, you know, be part of a, like run a war or like be, you know, it would get done so quickly because that's just how <laughs> fucking efficient we are. You know, we just take it, we just take it and we multitask it and make it happen. And we always have and we always will. That's sort of who we are. Uh, And it's in our blood, right? It's just make the restaurant industry run the country and it would be They'd all be like have, you know, mental health issues. Everybody in the country would <laughs> have
0: mental health issues, but it'd be the best run fucking country in the world. That that actually reminds me, uh, I've worked with AJ for so many years and because of the, the different paths we took, mine being in the kitchen and his being a front of house, more manager, uh, ops role, yeah. um, he's always related it to me whenever I've been stubborn and whenever I've been a pig-headed cook about it, where he's, he's, he had an epiphany where it seems like with cooks, there's this constant need to bury the last shit on the, on the spike. You know, like it's that, it's that linear thing of having like, this is my, this is my shit. I got to get to the end of this shit. And then this shit goes on the spike and it's done and that's it. And that's the line you're looking at. And that's it. As opposed to like the, the, all over the the meander, but the, the big picture, maybe sometimes it's just linear.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
2: I hear you. And
1: there's a comfort in that for sure.
2: Yeah. It's very true. It's like, you know, it's like your list, right? Like, Starting your list in the morning and then getting it finished by before service, or you know, chopping a fucking pile of wood—it's the same sort of idea. You know, finishing a service and it's a good service. There's no better feeling, really, at the end of the day. It's yeah. much different when you're obviously front of the house. You have a lot more different things going on, like cause, and it's because you have all the wild cards of customers there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you never know what you're going to get. It's like sometimes they're fucking awesome and sometimes they are not fucking awesome.
0: <laughs> fact yeah
2: i believe we got an
0: episode about that this is <laughs> very true very true
1: okay so in the last uh in the last little while in vancouver what have you kind of other than the obvious all the restaurants being closed and the kind of the retail sectors and stuff being laid waste what are what are some of the positive or interesting things that you've seen in some what are some of the what, evolutions that, it, yeah, that have occurred because of this about. crazy shit
2: well, I mean, the, the thing that, that blows my mind is how well some of these restaurants have been able to, to change their business models, like on a fucking dime. That blows my mind because it's so difficult to start a business to begin with and to be able to, and I hate this fucking word because everybody uses its You're going to use pivot, aren't you? Yeah. Pivot. <laughs> pivot. <laughs> but, then, but for so many people to be able to do it um, and then do it, I mean... It seems effectively, I mean, I don't know how, every, this is the thing about the restaurant business is that everybody fucking lies about how they're doing.
1: Yeah. Everybody's
2: doing awesome. That's what, you know, ask, you know, 20 fucking chefs and every, every chef is like, we're so fucking busy. And you know, you never really know because we've all been dead as fuck and we've all been busy as fuck. So we don't really know. Um, so, I mean, that, that idea, uh, the, the t- it's the, it's the tenacity of the hospitality industry that always blows my mind. They will push and push and push until they're fucking dead and we've all seen it and they and this is it's happened for you know a century you know before covid happened and it's it's continuing to happen now because you know they look at most most restaurant people look at covid it's just another fucking problem to deal with and that's what they're doing and they're yeah. trying to make their businesses work and and you know earn some money that's that's it you know for myself 12 years in at campagnolo it was my biggest thing was you know, going from a chef to a restaurant tour and seeing the evolution of like what it's really like to run a restaurant from the front of the house perspective, as opposed to just the back of the house perspective and the whole act of dining as myself, I love to dine. Like I love to go out and interact with the restaurant, order wine, cocktails, all that sort of stuff and how that's all been thrown out the window. Um, now, or it has, you know, it's like a big part of what I love about the industry is now gone And there are, but there are a few restaurants out there who have been able to figure out a way to to make it work and still, you know, show the hospitality that we all know and love. And that's what really inspires me and inspired and inspires me because that's, it's that tenacity in the industry that's allowed that to happen. And people's innovation, you know, we have a lot of very smart, somewhat fucked up people in the industry, but very, very smart to be able to make it happen. You know I mean, front of the house people, you know this better than anybody. When you go to a dining room and there's nothing on the table. It's, it's like, why are you sitting me at this table? It's not, it's not like ready to be sat, you know. There's no wine glasses on it. There's no fucking cutlery on it. That's, it's just weird. And But people just, you know, they've just rolled with the punches. And that's been that's pretty cool to see
0: if you if you had a crystal ball looking at the vancouver scene you, i mean this is a very vague question because who, nobody knows but do you, are you hoping to see in the next 2 years obviously depending on how things go are you hoping to see a change in vancouver specifically uh, is is it going to be all takeaway for the rest of the time are are you are you hoping yeah no are you hoping that there's going to be some kind of uh a, a phase where we deal with this where it's not just plexiglass and dining rooms is there is there what do you think
2: yeah I mean that's a good question I, just like I just said I mean we're the most innovative business we're some of the most innovative businesses in the world in that we're able to to shift and and, and, and figure things out to make our customers happy better than anybody else and so the, it's, somebody's ingenuity is gonna is gonna figure it out um, I worry about what I, the thing I worry about in Vancouver, especially, it's, it's less than Victoria, but it rains 200 fucking days a year here, and there's, everybody has a patio right now. And it's like, what the fuck yeah. are you going to do? And I, yeah. I understand this. The city did a great job. Like I was so because I've dealt with the city for years building restaurants, and they are brutal when it comes to getting anything done. As you, uh, I'm sure you know. <laughs> and yes, indeed, yeah. So the fact that they were able to allow businesses to have patios so quickly really really surprised me and it made me feel very good to live in vancouver that that they were that they did that and that the bcrfa pushed the government the provincial government and the city so hard to make it happen for restaurants they did a really good job there too but it's still worrisome it's like how are the how are these people going to survive over the winter and i, I don't yeah. i don't get it i mean in vancouver maybe victoria yes because it's definitely much more temperate there but then you look across the country and you know talk about Edmonton or Calgary or Toronto or fucking Winnipeg. It's like, it's not fucking possible. I don't, there's no way you can have socially distanced people, uh, outside in when it's fucking minus 20 or 30 or 40, you know, it's not going to happen.
1: It's going to return to having dining, being a privileged experience enjoyed by the elite because dining rooms are so small. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're like average seat guest check. Average is going to have to be, 10 times what it used yeah, to be and that's simply what it is and for those people that can afford it most likely they're going to have a pretty awesome experience
2: yeah um but I you're right I mean, I, this is that I, i've been that's the one thing i've been pushing for the most i think a lot of stuff would a lot of stuff for the industry would be better if restaurant tours charged just charge what the food and the service was worth um and give everybody the wage that is a living wage and with benefits like every other fucking industry you can ask you can talk about and charge for what the, what you're getting as opposed to this race to the bottom. And I mean, if there's any time, there's no better time than right now to make that happen because you're 100% right in that dining out is not like, it's not a privilege. It's, it's, it's something that should be cherished and it's not, it, it's, it shouldn't be something that happens willy nilly you know, it's not for everybody. You shouldn't, not everybody should be able to do it's, it's a
1: privilege, not a right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. It's like
1: fucking air travel. Okay. Like <laughs> air travel. Yeah, man. Air, you? Like I hate budget air travel. I, I can't oh, like yeah. cheap no. air travel. <laughs> and I don't, I can't fly any other way. I just don't want to fly. Cause like, yeah. I don't. you mean I, you can't fly any other way because you can't afford non I can't non-budget. afford it. Exactly. Yeah, no, I, but I that's understandable. But I mean like, yeah people complain budget airlines like you're flying in a metal tube across the world for like six hundred bucks. Yeah. Like it it's flying the same across the world is not experience. a right. Like come no. yeah. on. You're absolutely right. Yeah. We we don't deserve this as fucking humans. Yeah. Like I should be able to go and eat out at a restaurant five nights a week and it should only cost ten percent more than me buying the ingredients at a grocery store because exactly. the humans are either slaves or robots. Yeah. Perfect.
2: <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. I mean that's one of the biggest problems of our about our industry is that we have this idea that, you know, if we, if we just make it a little bit cheaper, more people will come. And it's just a constant race to the fucking bottom. Race to the bottom. Like you said, every, every restaurateur has done it. I've done it. I mean, I, you know, I, I want Mm -hmm. people in my fucking restaurant too. Mm And I don't know, I don't know unless, (laughs) you know, I put it out on my Instagram. I can't remember what it was uh, like sometime last year. And I said, if we could just all raise our prices by fucking 10% or 15%. And then I got, then a bunch of people were agreeing with me. And then we got a bunch of people got a letter from the government of Canada, lawyer from the government of Canada saying that we're, we were on the verge of price fixing. <laughs> we're all going to be charged with criminal offense. I'm, I wish I was fucking No Really? Yeah. 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 And I'm said, I'm just like, you know, I never talked to the fucking lawyer. But I was just like, all we're trying to do is figure out a way for making our industry survive. We're not trying to gouge people. We're just yeah. But you're
1: right, you can't yeah. have just one restaurant being no, like No, I was just going to say Sorry, I'm the restaurant on the corner that's 30% more than everybody else, but yeah. please come and dine with me because it's the right thing to do. No, yeah. it has to be agreed upon by the whole community to support each other because we've talked about it
0: before, the minute one person goes out and does that on their own and there's no support, like you said, where everybody's I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm yeah. fine, everything's great, everything's great. But the minute we stop saying that and actually agree to that needing to be the priority, like
2: well, I mean, we talked about this. I mean, I, I know you guys have talked about this too. Is it's tipping? I mean, I think that I think we should abolish tipping. I think that there should be no tips at lo- allowed at all anymore, and everybody should just pay be paid based off their experience, like every fucking job out there, except for the restaurant business and cabs. I guess
1: so weird. It's, it's so, so weird. Hard.
2: And if we, yeah. but there's no way that like we've all seen, we've all read about Danny Meyer, we've all read about different restaurants trying it. Some have been successful, like Dirt Candy in New York, have been successful. I know Mallard Cottage is trying it right now. This bad. Yeah, I, I was
1: listening to the uh, I was listening to the owner on your, on your show or on the show that that you were uh, hosting, and uh, yeah. yeah, it sounds like she's uh, super tenacious and just yeah. like, yep, people hate it, but we're doing it anyway. I'm yeah. like, okay, <laughs> that's amazing.
2: <laughs> people seem to love it. I I, I mean, I, I think it's a, I think it's absolutely amazing because everybody that I've ever well, most people I've heard of that have tried it, haven't, it hasn't worked. They always go back to the other model or they, they close the restaurant. But I think that the only way that you could make a known abolishing tips, would never. it, it, can't, it won't come from the industry because too many people are against it. It would have to come from like a, as a law that like comes from down, down on from the government somehow that we'd lobby the government to abolish tips. Yeah, And, and then people would have to charge what they would have to charge. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I don't know another way around it. I mean, I wish I did. I mean, I'm trying to try. That's one of the things that the podcast has allowed me to do is to talk to a lot a lot of people who are a lot smarter than me, trying to help figure this shit out. So the next podcast. Likewise with us. <laughs> likewise with us. It isn't podcast.
1: very hard finding people smarter than Franz and I. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's an understatement. <laughs> I mean, I want to continue on that thread. I think yeah. it's like I, you had mentioned, you know, kind of in the, in the show that I was listening to that, that, that big reset button has been hit. And hopefully that's the, um, like hopefully the, there's enough people missing their dining experiences that they're willing to acknowledge that a change needs to be made.
2: I, I, think, um, that there, I think that there are, I mean, I think that there even this, the few restaurants that have, well, sorry, not the few, a lot of the restaurants that have reopened have started charging more and the, people aren't, aren't seeming to have a problem with it. Um, the, 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 yeah, I I I hope that people look past the the this I mean this is the thing it's like we've had t- many many talks about the tipping idea and most people ha- if if they're getting the tips and their restaurant is doing well they're like I don't see a problem with the tipping fucking well. No. Of course. Wrong it. <laughs> Why would you? <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, exactly. So it's they're not looking at it as an industry problem because in their own house it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so until people start looking past their own fucking face and looking at what's going on in restaurants, not just in Vancouver or in Victoria, but restaurants across the country in North America, well, they really understand, you know, what's really happening. You know, the how tipping what really tipping really does to the restaurant business. How for me, it's like the, the, I came to this realization having all these conversations that tipping is unbelievably disrespectful to the front of the house. And because you're leaving as a restaurateur, you're leaving their wage, their fucking wage up to the whims of some schmo. <laughs> and that's, that's not fair. Like it's totally yeah. not fair in no other industry. Would you ever do that? And, but for, for this asinine reason, people think that that's okay in the restaurant business and, and yeah. and waiters will be the first ones to go, Oh, it's fine. And it's because they've walked away with 500 bucks or fucking four hundred dollars or whatever right uh-huh.
0: it's when that gets chopped down though or when we have a pandemic and then you have nothing to fall back on then then it becomes this like oh shit moment
2: exactly right like exactly like all my waiters trying to when we first we, we were one of the first restaurants in bc to, to close because i was i'll never forget it. i was in toronto and i woke up on the saturday morning i think it was like march 15th and um 400 people had died in Italy, in Italy and I was like, okay, this is no fucking joke anymore. Like I'm not going to, you know, keep my restaurant open to, to make a few bucks. If people's lives are at stake, I'm not going to do that. And the first question that all my waiters had was, okay, you're laying me off and I'm going to get, get a EI, but I'm not going to make any fucking money because I don't declare any of my tips. And I'm like, okay, so here, have a bunch of food. You want some wine, try to sell some wine here take, take a case of beer, like sell it to your friends. I don't know what to tell you, but that's sort of the system that we've all agreed to and you as well. And you, you're certainly fine when the times are good, but you can't complain to me when the times are tough. It's, it's It sucks. It fucking sucks.
1: Wow. That must have taken a lot of restraint to be that compassionate, unless you're just pretending to be that compassionate right now. Because <laughs> that, <laughs> I think that would have been. So one of the things that I'm really proud of that we did uh, when we, my previous job that we did is we, like, we're on a path to, uh, splitting the tip 50, 50. We started a couple of years ago and it was like, this is happening. It's going to be 50, 50. You know, we work in open kitchens. We have handmade products. Like yeah. there's no, there's no way that I'm getting a $5 tip without my, you know, my, my pizzaiolo making a great pizza. So it's happening, and yeah. and we did it progressively. So we did it over the course of like what three years almost, Yeah. where we progressively
0: increased it. Every time the minimum wage went up, we also changed it then as well too. So that and we we had a big meeting beforehand where we told people we're like, this is the reason why we're doing it.
2: That's great.
0: And,
1: That's very progressive. But, uh,
2: very
1: progressive. Yeah, but I mean, it, so then when the conversations would come up about like, this is really unfair. And you know, what about, I can't, <laughs> like I can't afford my squash membership now in my <laughs> car. And I'm like, weird. I'm so sorry that you're living outside of your means on all this tax free put- money. Like I bet you the government would love to have some of that tax yeah. revenue. Yeah. dude well, So,
2: you know, it's funny that you say that because that's one of the things that no one's talking about right now is the fact that the first industry to cry the biggest, the loudest, the hardest was the restaurant industry. And who do you think they're going to go after? Who do you think the CRS, CRA is going to be knocking on? Whose door is it going to be? It's going to be every fucking restaurant who cried the loudest because now they want their tax money. Yep. You know, everybody's been talking about all this free tax-free money that w- waiters have been making for the last however many years. And the government's losing out on billions of dollars. Yeah.
1: No I wonder, maybe maybe it would just be too hard. Maybe it would just be like too much of a wasp's nest to tackle. But I, I, often wonder that it's like, wh- like there's so a, much the money thread of the
2: sweater and seeing what happens. So
1: right. much money left on the table oh. for the feds. It's crazy to think. Yeah.
2: Like, well, it's, I mean, I've, we've all heard of restaurants getting audited and, and you know, the amount of money that they have to pay up at, at the end of the cool. day and how it ruins restaurants and ruins waiters and, it's
0: oh, just just even thinking about that as a restaurateur would like if if it would make me want to vomit thinking oh, about that potential, you know? Like
2: that was what, when we opened up when when we opened up Popina, uh, which was two two and a half years ago now, I guess, or two years ago. Um, that was the first thing I said to the to the, my four, like cause there was four chefs all doing it, and we were like, we don't have we don't really have a front of the house there because it's really just a fancy concession stand. And I said, we're going to take all the tips, we're going to bring them in, we're going to tax them, and then we're going to give them out. Just based off how many hours they worked a day. And that's and that's it. And that's super simple. It's by the book, by the law. And then we never had to fucking think about it. We never had to worry yeah. about getting audited. It's just it's clean, it's easy, and it's no one's gonna none of the none of the, none of the employees are gonna bitch about how he got stiffed and he didn't get stiffed and blah 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 fucking blah. So <laughs> it's, it's it's so much, so much more. And the
1: the people that don't want to play that game, they don't have to work for you. Yeah. Guess what? Work somewhere else. Not my problem.
2: Exactly. That's exactly it. And that's, and it's, you know, we get a lot of younger people who, you know, have maybe worked front of the house and and want to start cooking or they're just starting cooking. They don't really understand the way it is with most restaurants with the front of the house, lots of different variety of people, but it's worked so well because it's just so transparent and so clean they, they don't even think about it. They're just like, "Oh wow, I made two hundred bucks on my two hundred bucks extra in tips on my check." got yep. Taxed. Look, I got two hundred bucks. They didn't even think about it.
1: That's one of the one of the big pluses that we found too when we when we kind of got our plan rolling is there was or maybe it was just theoretical, but we we thought we thought that there would be a lot of people working front of house that would then want to kind of dabble in the kitchen because there's no financial penalty anymore. Yeah. You I mean like I? I work in the front of house because I can't afford my condo mortgage. If I cooked, but really cooking is where my passion is, and I'm really good at it. And yeah, like, yeah. how Different. good is that? I mean, why wouldn't you be able to? You should be able to transfer yeah, and move around out. a restaurant. Uh, I, I've
0: seen, I think one or two actually that, that oh. actually has happened. Really, that's yeah. pretty good. One of them was fairly recently too. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. On. Yeah. Well, actually. Yeah, no, it it was it. it uh, I mean, it was a, a great theory. Since we wanted to go fifty fifty, we've since realized that that might have been ambitious in the sense that, um, you know, like you, you got, got scared. W- yeah, I yeah. don't work. I don't work with you anymore. so no. you, I can I can talk shit <laughs> all I want. You got scared. No, we we did. It was you know, it's that obvious thing where you're kind of like what happens if, uh, they all leave for next door where they're not doing that? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, then, then uh, what are you doing? I mean, I can't, I can't send, I can't send my cooks to go serve tables. Half of them at least, at least you know, like <laughs> at least a good half of them are not <laughs> even
2: close
1: to presentable.
2: Yeah. It's hard to Lo- love them. Go but. The other way, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: definitely. Talk to us about, um, about the cantina project. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So cantina, so popina cantina, um, uh, what's the best way to put it? So we, we were offered this space uh, by Granville Island in the Net Loft. I don't know if you know Granville Island very well, but there's this building. It's a toy shop. store?
1: That's uh, all I know.
2: There, there is a toy store in there. There's yeah. a store. There's a Liberty Wines in there. Uh, great Hat Shop. Bunch of stuff. And it was right across from the market. We're on the other side of the market in shipping containers with Popina. So they this this other space came up. There was a restaurant in there before us that weren't wasn't doing too well, and they wanted to get out of their lease. And they asked us in January if we'd be interested, and we were like, "Yeah, let's let's see if we can make this happen." And then um, we were in in the middle of lease negotiations when uh, the 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 G panda G panda, G panda yeah. happened, <laughs> and so um, you know we obviously recoiled a bit. And then as time went on, and we opened up, we actually then we opened up Pupina. and it was actually going okay. We said, okay, let's, let's go forward with Cantina and see if we can make this happen. And we decided on a taco shop because number one, we fucking love tacos. We eat them all the time at all sorts of yeah, places yeah. in town. Like, who doesn't love a taco? Yeah. And it gave us this opportunity to do things um, that are it's much different than popina in that the menu never changes the popina. It's like a burger, a chicken burger, you know, a falafel, and some other stuff. And that's what sells and that's what does good. And this way, we could, every week, we could come up with some specials and and make it make it a little bit more fun for us as chefs because it's it's a more nimble sort of environment and you know you just you can pretty much stick anything in between a tortilla and it's a taco so you know today I've got some great <laughs> tomatoes from my my buddy Mellon and we're doing a, a heirloom tomato taco tomorrow you know it's like it doesn't like it's super simple and it's easy and people love it and hopefully people they get and buy tacos I guess I don't know we'll see what happens I guess. How,
0: how did you how did you get together like uh, so many like obviously your friends uh, over the years and stuff like that but all, all of the the four of you are such well known presences in Vancouver how how does that work together as a team how do you guys figure shit out together <laughs> it's a great
2: question like, actually it's
0: it's a it's a lot of uh, I mean eh, arguably kitchen people have some egos so I mean how do you
2: well, that, that, iron that out that's what's really cool about it is is, is that so I, I've known Angus since I opened up Angus opened up Gastropod. And uh, this is pre main on. So he opened up gastropod and I had fuel and we opened up like about a month apart from each other. And I remember we had the same real estate agent and he said, there's a guy named Angus who's opening up next door. You should introduce yourself. And I'm like thinking some big burly Scottish guy and how like <laughs> I had no fucking idea? He was a you know, skinny Asian dude. And I was like, are you Angus? Like we were at the back of the restaurant and I was like clean throwing some shit out of him. He He's like, yeah. And he's like, are you Robert? And so we've been friends ever since. And that's where okay. sort of how it started. And he, you know, we, the one thing that the four of us have in common is our egos are pretty, pretty low key. We just want to, you know, make people happy and do our thing. and, and, And we're not trying to, you know, get a Michelin star or anything like that. And, you know, the idea of us working together started like five years ago or almost six years ago now. And we went through many different like places and leases and different things to try to make something work. And nothing, nothing really like, was solid until uh, Angus had his first restaurant on Granville Island at Sen Thai, and they Right, they, in that loft they, space, right? Yeah, and they were really, really happy with how well the food was there and how well it was received. And they, there was a new management, in, and they really wanted to change the focus of you know, the type of offerings at Granville Island. They wanted to improve them. And so they, we did a tasting for the management team And they were stoked and they were like, Okay, we're gonna build would you guys be interested in in doing a a restaurant on Granville Island in a new space? And we're like, Oh uh, tell us more, you know, where is it? And they're like, Well, it's right on the water, uh on the on by the ferry docks, and we're gonna put up shipping containers. And we're like, Oh yeah. (laughs) Let's (laughs) make this happen. And so that's how Popina started, and it's been a good it's been really cool. Uh, working with Granville Island, it's it's much different than a regular landlord, that is for sure, because they're a government entity. Um, but they're super willing to uh, work with us for you know many different things. You know, it's I've never been in a place where it was so tourist centric before. Like, you know, eight million people go to Granville Island a year, uh, tourists, and it's when after the September long weekend, it's like a spigot turns off. It's like it goes, you know, from a million miles an hour to almost nothing. And that was really, we had no idea. And, uh, so that learning curve was fucking steep. And I think we, but then with this, this G Panda thing, I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know. We'll see. We'll fucking see how it works. I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, they're just good. They're good people to work with and working with Angus and Hamid and Joel, you know, we all have our quirks and, and, uh, we all have our talents and our, and our you know strengths and stuff. So, we all work really well together. The coolest thing about it is I've opened lots of restaurants, as I explained at the beginning of this whole thing, is that if one of us drops the ball for whatever reason, there's somebody right behind you to pick it up and keep running with it, which is super cool. And that's really, really important when you're opening restaurants or a restaurant, even just one or any business, to have partners who um, understand what the fuck is going on and who have the same goals as you do. That's And buy-in stupid. and everything, like yeah. emotional buy-in. Exactly. Exactly that's super, it's super important. <clears throat> and um, a lot of restaurants fail because they don't have that support. You know,
1: I gotta, I gotta ask, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about how people go from I'm working in a restaurant. I think I'm pretty good. I've got some experience and now I somehow have enough money to open a restaurant. I, I mean, it's possible that, somehow along the way, you're like, and I also have been extremely talented at financial management and I've managed to save enough for a 20% (laughs) down payment, but I just don't believe the amount of restaurants are out there that that's, that is the way. So how does it, like, how does it happen other than I've been really smart and I've saved my money since birth and now I have money for a down payment?
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, that's a good fucking question. And you know, I was just talking to another chef friend of mine today is he wants to start a, a gig and he's like trying to find investors. Finding people who are who have the same dream as you do, and investors who actually have money, or people who have money, is, is it's extremely difficult. You know, we had we've had investors uh, since day one, and actually, with the closing of Campagnolo will be the last time we actually have outside investors, which is going to be cool. Every situation is different. Every business deal is different. Every restaurant out there, there's eighteen thousand restaurants or something like that in in BC. Eighteen thousand business models with eighteen thousand sets of partners. It's just. Everything is a little bit different. It's just trying to find somebody who believes in you and believes in the project. I was definitely fucking naive when I opened up Fuel, for sure. This, the learning curve of the business aspect of it was unbelievably steep for us. For me, hmm. especially, you know, all I ever concentrated was on food and very little on P&L statements and fucking leases and lawyers and oh, man, accountants and year-ends and all that sort of stuff. Like it's, It was so out of my realm. I, I'm so happy. I was very lucky to have an unbelievable crew of people who worked with me in the kitchen, who were able to take up my slack, like Ted Anderson and uh, you know Jeff Hopkins and so many great people. Trying to find investors is incredibly difficult to, to to find people on your on your right who are on the same page. You know, if you don't have to find investors, that's always the better way to go. It's just incredibly difficult to get the cash. Like it's just it's so expensive now to open up a restaurant with. With, um, on a shoestring, just because of the demands of of code, you know, when building a restaurant and the demands of what it costs to just open up your doors is just insane. Like when we built Roma, which is in 2011, we built it for 111 grand. And there's no way we could do that today. Like that same restaurant would cost twice that, at least twice that. Um,
0: yeah, that's, I, I hear you. I mean, I remember I've opened up restaurants but I never had the it be my own dime um except for once when I was close and it was I I wasn't in a partner at that time but the the Let me guess the owner told you you were going to be Yeah <laughs> maybe maybe um no it, it was it was more like I referencing your shoestring budget I remember how like how every penny was squoze into the opening of this restaurant and it it was it was so much harder than if you had a little bit of 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 room you know what i mean like everything yeah, you, counted
2: you, you definitely cannot put every penny into the opening of it because you need yeah. money you know six months down the road cash flow is a thing in this business and if you don't have fucking cash reserves you're fucked like seriously fucked um yeah it's hard it's hard that
1: was one of the that was one of the big things when you were talking to hetherington um, that like it really resonated with me is like we we were playing this this like credit card paying for your rent game, and it's uh, like it's just with yeah, like you said. I mean, if you have a if you have six months of cash in the bank versus the the place that like yeah. hasn't paid for last week's food yet yeah. and has nothing, like yeah. oh, that's yeah, so paying stressful for this week's uh,
0: delivery with next week's cash flow. Uh, it's, that, it's yeah. madness, man. It
2: madness. Yeah, I mean that was one of the so one of the things that I started because I dealt with mainly small farms with for all of my food and small wineries local mostly bc and then boutique uh, what do you call it, importers and things like that um mm-hmm. they were i wanted it to be a symbiotic relationship i i, I saw with restaurateurs i had worked with before them you know do 60 days 90 days to pay back and i thought that was just so fucked because you know a farmer is just struggling all summer to make make their just the payments for the lease on their land and and you're waiting till fucking December to pay for the tomatoes that you sold in September. It made no fucking sense to me at all. I thought it was, I thought it was awful. So we had a two week, we had everything was on two weeks and that was just, so we give it two weeks. We pay every two weeks, we pay the venue vendors and every two weeks, the opposite two weeks we pay payroll. And that was just sort of how it's always been since we started out. That's smart. And those were always the two, that way you're never like overextending yourself. And then we use, but we use a credit card for everything. Like we, everybody who would take a credit card, we'd, we'd pay for credit card. And I haven't had to pay for a flight since 2006. So, <laughs> and like, also sure. what it allows me to do is give flights to, to cooks, to go do stages, you know, send people to the French laundry, send people to flour and water. Send, I sent my, my sommelier, Peter Bandry by sent him to Dallas to do a, a, a wine thing. You know, it's a lot, Jeff Hopgood to Alinea. I mean, it it allows us to do a lot of things that you know you wouldn't necessarily. You don't have to put money out for, which is which was great. I mean, I'm no expert on restaurant cash flow and cash. You know, my expertise lies in, in cooking, um, but I I do know for a fact that if you cash flow is king in this business, and it's one of the reasons why so many restaurants were were f- so fucked at the beginning of this because. You know, you fuck with the cash flow and you fuck with everything. Like it's, it's devastating. Like, I mean, it's still with me, like, you know, turning off the tap like that, closing the restaurant, the amount of money that you still have to pay out, like with not just rent, but taxes, taxes kill so many restaurants and they don't even realize it. Like payroll taxes and then taxes on, you know, just GST and GST remittance and things like that, it can kill a restaurant.
0: Yeah, most people have no idea what happens to a restaurant, at least during the pandemic, when it closes. And like you said, how much residual payments there are still going on. It's not like the door's shut and you no longer have to pay for your shit. It just continues. Yeah. You know, like (laughs) we were talking about uh, stopping uh, (laughs) our services to our uh, dishwashers, like the machines. And they were like, well, on contract, if you guys stop the services we provide, then we're going to go repo them out of your walls. Yeah. And it was like, um, all right, all right, that's that's a, that's a new problem. Yeah. Cool.
2: Yeah. You know, like. And that's fuck. the other thing about, like, reading those contracts at the beginning, you never think for a minute that you're going to be closed down because of a pandemic. Or, no. fucking, you know, another one is um, is uh, trash removal, like, you know, just getting rid of your garbage. They don't fucking care if you don't have garbage <laughs> in your garbage can. They're still going to charge you 500 bucks a month for totally. garbage removal. They don't give a fuck. Totally. And you can't get out of the contract. It's a five-year contract. If you're lucky. Yep. So there, totally. I mean, yeah. There's lots of stuff like that.
1: What's your uh, What's your favorite Italian wine?
2: Well, I'm drinking this one right now. Um, Pietro Dolce. Is, it's oh, a, yeah. Etna. Yeah, it's an Aetna Rosa. Um, nice one. The, the funniest thing about closing a restaurant is you find all these wines that are squirreled away by your sommelier. And I found them <laughs> in the back of your fridge. And I was like, ah, oh, <laughs> this could be just perfect for me to drink tonight.
0: Nice yeah. one. Oh, that's... Sitting behind the recycling bin, kind of pushed in the side, a rag on top of it. You're like, I wonder what this is. <laughs> 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 yeah.
1: What about in BC? What do you like
2: to drink from BC? Uh, Orofino, I think they make some fucking yeah. outstanding wines.
1: Similkameen is so good.
2: Oh, yeah. I'm going to drink this, uh, After this, I think I'm going to go to a Riesling. Nice. Um, that's the one thing that uh, this G Panda thing has allowed me to do is Drink a lot more, so.
1: Yeah. There are, Phew, now, now there's time for what's important. Focus importance. on your
0: true passion.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, it's funny. I love wine and I don't get it. I, when I cooked, I, I made it a point when I started really young in my career never to be one of those chefs who's just like constantly chugging beers and chugging wine. And I didn't – because I was – in Vancouver, I always lived out of town. Like I lived in Maple Ridge for most of my career or Pitt Meadows. So I would have an hour and a half commute after work. So I never ever went for beers with guys. Um, so I now I'm making up for
1: it. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> you know, with the recent closure of Campagnolo and like the economic downturn in like 2009 or whatever with, with Fuel, what, what kind of emotional and mental armor do you have to be able to like take those kicks to the nuts and still want to get up and stay at it? Like I'm just, I'm, I'm amazed at, at your willingness to want to get back into the ring.
2: It's well, I'll give you, uh, I'll, I'll tell you it's, it's really simple. Um, it's business. It's as simple as that. I, I need to make a paycheck and I can sit and wallow in my own despair about how I didn't make the right decisions about my last business closing or what, or whatever. Um, all I can do is move forward and try to, to be, a better restaurateur, a better chef and a better manager than I was before. And I can sit back and, and, and cry in my etna rosa here, or I can can fucking move forward. I mean, it's as simple as that. I don't have any magic armor or anything like that. Like, you know, closing fuel, when I built fuel, I like, I literally, well, I pretty much every restaurant I built, but I built fuel, like from the ground up, like Tom Dowdy and I like sawed the fucking concrete and pulled it out. I hammered the fucking, the entire concrete floor out of the kitchen to, to redo the, the plumbing. Like I fucking built that place. That's and, so awesome. Um, Jesus. You know, when you, when you sell it, when you sell a place like that and it's your live stream, you, you built it specifically to do the food you wanted to do. Um, at the end of the day, it was still fucking business. Like it, that's, that's, you know, it's it's it, a lot of people, a lot of managers I've had and a lot of cooks I've had have a hard time with my, that ideal, I mean, I, I never want to talk ill will about anybody ever. I mean, but it was hard closing fuel, like hard. And, you know, having managers and chefs and stuff like bawling their eyes out on a daily basis was incredibly emotionally taxing. But at the end of the day, there it wasn't their fucking half a million dollars that was where, where did it go? It was their yeah. job and they could move on to another job. And, you know, I understand that they they had an unbelievable emotional attachment to what, what we had created and I'm not trying to belittle that at all because it was what made Fuel so such an amazing place. But at the end of the day, it was either I did what I had to do. We got an offer to to, to to sell it to Trevor Bird, and you know it was just like, okay, are we gonna are we gonna make money this month? No, okay, we made a little bit. Oh, you know, it was just like that fucking you know that constant bullshit that sucks about the restaurant business, and I was just like. And we were in the middle of opening Fat Dragon and I was just like, uh, I don't need the stress and I I can, I, I have a job for all these people and I can put them somewhere else. And, you know, it's my dream restaurant. The only one who should be fucking crying is me at the end of the day. But, you know, I was busy building another place and making it happen. You know, that was, it was a hard time. It was a weird time too. I mean, I, I mean, I could get into a lot of stuff. My, we were in the middle of opening another restaurant, Fat Dragon, and, my business partner had a stroke and he almost passed away and it was, it was a devastating time, but you have to, you have to keep going with business and you have to keep moving forward because if you don't, all these people who believe in what you're trying to do, don't have a fucking paycheck. And I couldn't do that to my cooks and I couldn't do that to all the people who had made those commitments to me, you know? So I had to just keep on going and um, it's, it's the same thing with every restaurant at the end of the day, it's business. It's about making sure that families have food on their table and that we're making guests happy. Really, That's it.
1: Thanks, man. Thanks for uh, yeah. Thanks yeah. for sharing that. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's the
0: kind of stuff that I'm. I think both of us are really interested in because it's so rare. Like again, you mentioned earlier, where everybody always has this uh, attitude where they have to they have to outwardly say how well everything is going. So, I mean, it's yeah. it's important that also people hear. How human that that whole scenario is, and how incredibly devastating it can be. But also, you you need you have people relying on you, like you said. So yeah, no, yeah. oh, that's thank you for answering that for sure. I honestly like I, I think you've covered almost everything that I've. I mean, I had one. Ever so slightly childish question that I just wanted to ask I, and I I love, I I
2: love childish questions. So, is it a fart joke or?
0: No, 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 no. It's it's more just like probably one that you've answered before. But I wanted to know. Um, I wanted to know. I what it was like working at the French Laundry for yes. somebody who
1: good. Yeah, I. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had I was, to. Of I didn't, course, you know, like we got the adult stuff out of the way, but yeah, yeah. you know. <laughs>
2: um. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, 1999. I worked there for a year. I was a butcher. Started as a butcher. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. Like it was an amazing experience. It was before the book came out. Like uh, I was actually just packing up all my cookbooks yesterday, and I was going through, and I found my French Laundry cookbook. And Thomas gave it to me the day my last day uh, I, that I came in to get my check, my last day of work. And uh, he had written a really nice anecdote or a nice little like thank you for your work here and stuff. So I posted it on Instagram, and um, it was an interesting. It was an interesting time because it was it wasn't like. Thomas has become like a, a worldwide name and powerhouse. He wasn't at that time, but he was He was always in the kitchen. And it was the thing that had struck me about it. It was just the dedication to the craft that Thomas has and still has. He was there. Every, like I got into, into work every morning at five to start stocks and get the braces on and then start butchering. And Thomas was there at six and Thomas left the night before at one. And it was like that every day. Every yeah. day he did that. Well, six days a week, I should say, he did that. He lived on the property, still does, I think, as far as I know. The amount of, sh- of dedication to his craft was what made Thomas so successful. And his unbelievable attention to detail was, was what I took away from it. I, I learned how to cook at the French Laundry, like really cook, understand mm-hmm. ingredients and like understand how to really season stuff properly and the technical aspect of cooking. Right. I always say I'll always say that Thomas taught me how to cook, but Robert Clark taught me how to be a chef. Right, I'm we very lucky in my career to have those two guys as mentors. Obviously, but it was a, it was a it was a pretty cool time. Like Eric Zebold was the chef de cuisine, or had just become the chef de cuisine when I was there. He's very successful on the East Coast. Gregory Short, Grant uh, the Ketz, was uh, he had, about halfway through my tenure there, he had uh, come back on to um, oh, crazy to, to become the, the, the sous chef there. Yeah. And I remember teaching him going through teaching him butchery again, like refreshing his, his thing on butchery. Wow! Um, lots of really great place, Lots of really great people came through there and that have gone on to really great careers. Uh, you know, Richard Blaze was a stage there. Actually, when I was there, wow! I was just talking to another cook about that today. Actually, he asked me about Richard Blaze. Um, so yeah, it was good. To, it was it was amazing. And but I, it was where I realized that. I mean, I I know if I would have stayed on, I I would have definitely went on to Per Se and stuff like that because it was a big part of what I wanted. I thought I wanted, but I had just been married. And um, I saw the amount of commitment that it took for Thomas to to be successful. And I I wasn't willing to to do that kind of sacrifice or have that much sacrifice in my life because it takes an incredible amount of sacrifice to do what Thomas did. And I just said to myself, the amount of work and the experience is amazing, but... I couldn't see myself you know, shooting for three Michelin stars. So I said, you know what? I don't want to take a spot away from somebody that wants that. And so I remember ta- talking to Thomas in the garden one day and saying, you know, this is what I'm thinking. And he's like, I totally support you. I get it. It's not for everybody. And he's like, you know, if you need anything, let me know. That was sort of it. It was a big part of my career, like, even though I was only there for a year, but I still remember it very fondly and, um, but it was some of the hardest work I
1: ever did as a cook, for sure. Yeah. Well, now you've got a whole legion of people that have worked for you that are speaking fondly about their experiences <laughs> and like you as their mentor. So you know you pass that uh, yeah, pass um, that experience along, you know?
2: <laughs> some oh, I,
1: that. <laughs> I love hearing about your
0: ability, even whether it be on air miles or not, to sell to send your 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 staff that you like to places so that they can be bettered and uh, and, and enjoy stuff like that to me is such a that's such a lovely thing to do, you oh, know, like
2: I think it's one of the most important things you want like if you're able to find people who who love the business and love cooking and love wanted to be want to be a chef and maybe hopefully hopefully open a, a restaurant one day you have to nurture that as a chef, especially as a restaurant owner too you really have to nurture that like every time every time like every one of those restaurants that I named at the beginning, we did those restaurants because somebody was ready to be a chef that's why we did it you know. Whether that be Ted Anderson or Alvin Pele or uh, you know Adam Johnson or you know the list goes on. You know it's the success of the restaurant business is solely lies on the people who do it on the day in and day out. And if you don't have really competent people doing that as for you as a restaurateur, then you're never going to be successful. It's always about the people first. It's never about the you know the best equipment in the restaurant or the best wine glasses or the best bottle of wine or whatever. It's about the people who are actually interacting with the customers and and making that restaurant work. They're the most important things to a restaurant. And that's what determines its success or not.
1: It's a great way to finish. Yeah. Anything
0: no, else there, Franz? No, that's wonderful. Um, Chef, if there's, if there's anything, like I said to you before in an email, we, uh, we have small reach, but we have big aspirations. If you would like to plug any of your projects right now, um, I, I'd love for people to know about how they can reach you. Or Well,
2: I mean, the, the, the coolest thing is the you know, uh, CTS, Chef Table Society. I'm um, a member if you can. It's free. Uh, is it
1: just for people in the back of house or is there room for... Know,
2: it's for everybody. It's for front of house, back of house, anybody. Can music. I
1: come to? <laughs> nice. I like how you yeah. baited that one. Yeah, nice. Yeah,
2: I like it. Everybody's, <laughs> real, everybody's in. It's, everybody's important. Um, and then, uh, yeah, let's listen to the podcast. It's uh, We call it Cook's Camp, the Mise en place podcast. You can find it on... The best place to find it is actually off of the Chef's Table Society website. That's the easiest way to do it because if you search Spotify or, or uh, uh, iTunes, it, it's some, it, You have to sift through a bunch of stuff to it, so lost in the ether. Yeah, exactly. So it's best to do that, and you know we're just trying to have conversations about how to make our industry better and what the future holds for industry. That's what we're talking about. So, cool, semi-important stuff, I guess.
0: Absolutely, (laughs) no, definitely performing a service. Thank you again, Chef, and for your time. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your stories. It's been really nice.
1: Nice to meet you, and really nice chatting with you.
2: Yeah, pleasure's been all mine guys. Really And, really
0: and if there's if there's anything we can do in the future like if, if there's any way of helping out to get Cooks Camp off the ground whenever we can, whenever that social distance question is answered, yeah. we'll we'll be your 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 number one fans to help if oh, we can.
2: I, oh, man, I, that, that's amazing to hear. I appreciate that. And, and you know what? I'm definitely going to call on you guys to help.
0: Please, yeah, please, yeah,
2: yeah. we'd be honored for Thank sure. You. For sure. Awesome, chef. Thank okay. you so
0: oh much.
1: wait, hold oh. on. We need a we need a photograph screenshot. Photograph screenshot? Okay, let's do it. No, we oh. need to change it so that. Okay, we just need to screenshot. There you go. Can you screenshot? Do you know Can how to I screenshot? screenshot? I don't know how to screenshot. Fuck. Okay, hold on. I'm in screenshot? the kitchen? I don't even know how to do that. I'll sc- I'll do. Well, I'll do the screenshotting. Uh, function command four. Okay, smile. <laughs> <laughs> Did that? do Did it? Did it do it? Uh, Did you didn't fuck. see it? You knew how the screenshot. <laughs> um, hold on. No, we have. This has to happen. Sorry yeah I'll
0: thank you yeah bear with us i've known this guy since we were both like five years old so oh, is I mean, that right? yeah yeah the, the the banter is is deep it's good you know i started <laughs> cooking in victoria eh? yeah you mentioned that i was actually gonna poke at that one but i didn't know like how long you
2: were here or what you know i went to cmosin to do my culinary training
0: oh brilliant yeah. Gilbert. yeah it was Gilbert.
2: yeah yeah yeah, long time yeah, yeah. Ago. he did my apprenticeship yeah. stuff and uh dober doberman dog do- No. Dauber. Mr. Dauber was my yep.
0: teacher. Yeah, yeah. Chef Dober, I think. And uh, now um, Chef Walker Duncan is heading up the program because yeah, I think Gilbert more. retired a few years ago. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, did, yeah. I, worked at, I worked at Rebar for a long time, two years. And then I worked at the area. Oh, crazy. Yeah. The area. When did you work at the area? This was 97 to 99. Oh, crazy. I,
1: I worked there the very last season uh, really? that, it was, that it was open before it turned into whatever it is now, the, yeah. the EDI. The itty, the itty, oh, the race, yeah, right. the, the, the yeah, the the race, race car people sorry. purchased it, and <laughs> who it's the, who called. Was,
2: who was the manager when you were there? Uh, Her name is Lynn. Oh, really?
1: And it was Christophe Latard in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Castro Botang as sous chef. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Lynn was, uh, I think, she was the dining room manager when I was
1: there. Yeah, no, she was the dining room manager for sure. Yeah, yeah. We're, uh, we're, we keep airport. threatening to make it over to the mainland to, uh, to do some visiting. Uh, and we're totally going to track you down and, and say, hey, and have a glass of wine. And yeah. I look forward to it. Yeah.
2: yeah I'd really like that very much. I would like that okay. a lot.
1: All right,
2: John. Awesome. Thank awesome. You. Take, take care,
1: yourself.
0: chef. Thanks. Sure. Cheers. Thank you. Bye.
1: Last customer has left the building. All that's left to do, mop and take out the trash. Thank you guys for joining us
0: again. If you have any questions, thoughts, or episode ideas you can email us at podcastitw at gmail.com.
2: See you next time.